This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. You ready to study God's Word together this morning? Turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want to encourage you to pull out your listening guide from uh, your worship guides this morning and follow along as we walk our way through this very short uh, text we're going to look at. And as you're turning there this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to think in your mind, I want you to fast forward a year from now. I want you to fast forward to the end of 2020. Lord willing, if we're all still here, and the Lord has ordained 365 more days, or I guess next year it'll be 366 days in 2020, but I want you to fast forward to the end of next year. Around this time, at the end of next year, I want you to process right now, what type of person do you want to be? Where in your spiritual walk, in your spiritual journey, Do you need to grow? Perhaps another way of asking this question would be, in what ways in your life do you need to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, God's Son? Because you see, a lot of people in culture, when when we're walking and talking with people who are around us, whether it's at work or in our families or at school, it seems like the goal of human existence is to be a good person. Have you noticed that? And like even uh, you and I, we're tempted to fall into that mentality that being a good person is the ultimate end to which humanity points. The problem with that is there's no consistent definition of what good is. And the reality is in the Bible, nowhere are we told to simply be a good person. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the whole goal of the Christian existence is not to be a good person, but to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, I totally believe that as we are more conformed to the person of Jesus Christ, that's going to reflect in a lot of goodness coming out of our life. But simply being a good person, divorced from Jesus Christ, is simply another form of human religion. And God tells us throughout the scriptures that that is ultimately going to be rejected. And so as you think about being conformed more to the person, more to the character of Jesus Christ, where in your life do you need to grow? This is the time of year where we make goals for the new year, isn't it? Uh, We call them New Year's resolutions. And oftentimes we focus on things like the things that we eat or the things that we're not going to eat anymore or we're going to work on our body, we're going to get it physically fit, or we're, we're going to make different goals for ourselves financially. These are external goals, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I sit down every year and I think about things that I want to grow in. But what I want to argue to you this morning from the text is that there are changes that should be taking place inside of us as Christ followers that we often overlook. And they are dispositional changes. Changes with our attitudes, Changes with our mindsets. And at the very end of 1 Thessalonians, there really is just this litany of things that Paul wants the Thessalonian believers to grow in and to be transformed in. And they're very practical places of growth. But in three short verses at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, 
we see some dispositional changes, some dispositional growth that needed to take place in the Thessalonians' lives, and I would argue today that also need to be growth points and changes in our lives. And look at these simple verses with me very quickly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 16, he writes this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Brothers and sisters, if you're looking for a really good memory verse, if you're looking for some good scriptures to begin memorizing in your own faith walk as you begin this new year, I would submit to you that these three verses would be very good to be at the top of your list. They'd be very easy to memorize. Write them down on a card. Take them with you wherever you go and put these to memory. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This morning, as we walk through this text, this is a very simple outline this morning, but I would encourage you to take these principles to heart. Because as you think about where you want to be at the end of 2020, I would hope and pray that these three encouragements to us from the text would be at the top of our list to be more conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. So let's look at these three simple yet difficult godly dispositions to grow in the new year. So number one, the text would encourage us to be more joyful in the new year. Be more joyful. It just says rejoice always. Rejoice always. Now, we can read that and think that simply rejoicing means to, to put on a plastic smile and to just simply walk through life as if there are no dangers, as if there are no worries, there are no anxieties, that there are no moments to weep and to cry. This doesn't mean that we simply tack on a plastic smile just for the sake of putting on a smile. Because that, that would be missing the point entirely. And what we want to recognize from this text is that there is a difference between happiness and joy. There's a difference between those two. And for the Christ follower, knowing the difference between these two really changes everything in our lives. I want you to think about this. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is fleeting. Meaning that happiness is here this moment and it could be gone the next moment. Happiness is simply a mood that comes and goes. And oftentimes, it is completely predicated upon our circumstances. When I am in circumstances that I really like or I'm with the people I really like to be with and everything is going great, the kids are behaving, the grades are up and the professor is giving me a lot of grace, I'm very happy. But then calamity comes or discomfort comes, and all of a sudden that happiness gives way to sadness, to grief, to worry, to anxiety. See, happiness is very fleeting, but we like to think about happiness as human beings. <clears throat> when I was a teenager, there was a really popular song that uh, hit the charts in the late 80s, early 90s, and it was Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. You've probably heard it. It goes a little something like this. Here's a little song I wrote. 
You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. 21st century culture won't be outdone. One of the most popular songs of the last decades, decade is Pharrell Williams' song, Happy, where through a very addicting melody and upbeat rhythm, he proclaims he's happy. So clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Our culture talks a lot about happiness. As a matter of fact, happiness is at the very core of the many social debates that we have in our day. Because many of our debates that we have as a society and a culture is over what laws are going to bring about the most happiness for the most amount of people. I would even argue that our culture is mildly obsessed with happiness. But the scriptures have something more in mind here. Because you see, happiness is fleeting. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. As a matter of fact, it could be here right now, and the moment you get home, happiness could be gone in a moment until it comes back a week from now or two weeks from now. So Paul means something more than momentary happiness. He's talking about deep-rooted Christian joy. And being more joyful and rejoicing always, we need to recognize something about joy in contrast to happiness. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is fixed. Happiness is fleeting while joy is fixed. The word that Paul uses here, rejoice, comes from the word joy. And joy derives from the word grace. And so even in the very definition of the word joy or the definition of the word rejoicing, we see that Christian joy is actually a gift from God. It's a grace gift from God. And if you read Galatians chapter 5, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so this rejoicing, this Christian joy is something that comes through Christ This isn't something that we can just muster up from inside of us. It's more than a simple emotion. It's a grace gift from God to fix us on something that's lasting and not something that is fleeting. Think about these contrasts for a moment. Happiness is very subjective, meaning that it's simply based on circumstances. But joy is objective. It is based on fact. See, happiness rests on feelings. Joy rests on fact, on truth, on the truth of God's word. Happiness is very temporal. It's temporal. This is a human emotion that we experience here predicated upon our circumstances, while joy is something that's very eternal. It's fixed. That's why the same Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that they were people who were sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You see, even in your darkest moment, even when the tears are flowing and they will not stop, even when you are at the lowest of very low, you can still be very joyful 
because you know the truth of God's word, you know the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is fixed, it will never shift, it will never change, and joy is not predicated upon our circumstances. Our circumstances can stink, but yet we can still be very joyful. Robert Thomas writes this, the uniqueness of Christian joy lies in its emergence under the most adverse circumstances. I'll read that again. The uniqueness of Christian joy lies in its emergence under the most adverse circumstances. And it begins with recognizing that happiness is fleeting while joy is fixed. This means even more when you look through human history, especially church history. When you read church history, you learn that many of the giants of the faith down through the centuries, they struggled with real depression. They struggled with despondency. They struggled and experienced real human loss and the like. But yet their joy remained fixed. Because they were focused on something that was eternal and not simply something that was temporal. If you go back to the Thessalonians, you go back to Paul, they had every reason not to rejoice. Think about this for a moment. They were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing false teachers in their midst. Paul was imprisoned. He was facing even possible death for the gospel. There were disagreements among the church members. They couldn't get along. The list goes on and on and on. And yet Paul says, rejoice always. Friends, the same is for you and for me. There are often times we experience victories in life. And we're at the highest of highs, life speaking. There are other times that we experience real loss. And we experience real pain and real worry in this life. There are often times that we look at our circumstances and we have every reason not to rejoice. But isn't that all the more reason why the apostle would need to command this? Isn't it all the more reason why the Bible would tell us to rejoice always? And it's not just here in 1 Thessalonians. You look at the book of Philippians, which Paul also wrote, more than a dozen times in that book he uses some form of the word joy or rejoicing. This repetition in the New Testament underscores both the importance of Christian joy as well as the difficulty of Christian joy. And so friends, brothers, sisters, as you face the new year, I want to encourage you from the scriptures to be more joyful in your walk with Jesus Christ. A second second godly disposition that he tells us to do here and to grow here is to be more prayerful. Yes, be more joyful, but also be more prayerful. He actually says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And this is very similar to other texts that we see in the New Testament. For example, this same apostle in Colossians chapter 4, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Some translations of the New Testament would translate that phrase, Devote yourselves 
to prayer. Here he says pray without ceasing. And he's actually commanding what he himself practices. Because if you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, at the very beginning of the letter, this is what he says about the Thessalonian believers. He says that we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And so Paul is not prepared to tell them to do anything that he himself is not doing. So be more joyful, be more prayerful, Paul would say. Now when he says pray without ceasing, now we are very accustomed to when we pray to sit down or to kneel down, prostrate on the floor or or beside a chair or however it is that we pray, and we usually bow our heads We usually close our eyes or we fold our hands. Now, that is not exactly what the text is commanding us to do. I mean, can you imagine walking around this week through the streets of Lowell or through your home just constantly doing this? There would be a lot of messed up toes, uh, maybe some bloody noses, and, and it just wouldn't be good. That's not exactly what he's saying. What he's saying is that the Christian life should constantly be lived in a posture of prayer, where there is both disciplined moments of prayer and prayer that could just pop up at any moment of the day. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to think about your prayer life in the new year in this way. I want to encourage you to grow in a couple of ways when it comes to prayer. Number one, grow in planned prayer. And I'd probably, I'd probably say that for most of us, planned prayer is how we think about prayer. So there's a specific time of day that we have what we know as our quiet times, as our devotions. And we've talked about that this fall as we looked at the spiritual discipline study. And so it could be early in the morning. It could be mid-morning. It might be midday. It could be late at night. But you know when that disciplined, regular time normally happens in your life. And what we know as a Christian, a quiet time. And, And that's what we mean by planned prayer. And yes, we should grow in that. And we're going to be giving you some tools in the coming weeks to grow in your planned prayer this year as we pray together as a faith family. And so we definitely want to encourage in our planned prayer. But I really believe that what Paul has in mind here in this particular text in pray without ceasing is the second way that we should grow in prayer. It's not only grow in planned prayer, but also grow in spontaneous prayer. That we would grow in spontaneous prayer. Now for those of us who live here in the Northeast with the constant weather changes where one day it's below zero and the next day it's 55 degrees and we're busting out the shorts, right? We're very accustomed to colds and sinus infections and the sniffles and all that comes with that. And you guys probably know what I'm talking about here, but you know when you have that cough, or you have that inflammation in your nasal passages, in your sinuses, and you're just talking and a cough just happens out of the blue. Like you don't even feel it coming on, it just, it just comes out, right? Just because of the tickle that's in your throat, it just forces you to cough. And so the reality is, even in conversation, you're like keeping your distance because you don't want to cough and, and throw saliva on the person that you're talking to, right? A cough could come at any moment. It's that type of idea that Paul has in mind here with praying without ceasing. 
It's that as you're living your life on any given day, whether it's riding in the car, whether it's going to an appointment, sitting down with someone over coffee in the Starbucks, whether you're walking, and, uh, walking your dog or running errands and, and picking up the groceries, that at any moment, you're just in a posture of prayer, that you're driving across the bridge and you see the beautiful uh, blue sky and you just at the moment burst out, Father, what a great creator you are. Look at what you've created. Or, or you're walking towards the store and you're just muttering under your breath, Father, give me grace as I go in here and pick up these errands and, th- and these groceries. And Father, thank you for granting the, the monetary resources to purchase this. You're on your way to meet with someone, to hear about their life or to read with them. And you're just in the car or you're walking towards that door. Father, give me grace as I meet with my friend today and give grace and season our conversation uh, for your name's sake. That at any point that we're praying, that prayer is not something that's just confined to a compartment at five in the morning or 11 in the evening, but we're taking conversation with God with us everywhere we go. The the apostle tells us here to be more prayerful, to pray without ceasing, to grow in planned prayer, to grow in spontaneous prayer. So here's what we've seen so far. We've seen some godly dispositions that each and every one of us as Christ followers should grow in. And in growing in these dispositions, we will be more conformed to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we should be more joyful. We should be more prayerful. And the last one we see here in verse 18 is that we should be more thankful. We should be more thankful. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Before I even proceed with this last disposition here, who among us in this room is as grateful as she should be? Who among us in this room is as thankful as he could be? I I think if all of us were honest in this room today, that we would honestly say, yeah, I I could be more grateful. I, I take a lot of things for granted. And I even murmur and grumble and complain to the same God who woke me up this morning and has my pantry full at home. I should be more grateful. So this, this is one that shouldn't even uh, cause us much surprise because every one of us in this room could be more thankful. But let's think about what this means. So when we think about being grateful to God, when we think about being thankful, oftentimes we're thinking about stuff. Amen? So God gives me stuff. All right? So he, he has given us homes in which to live, clothes which to wear. He's given us transportation to get us from point A to point B. Our bank accounts, some of them have more than others might have. Some of them may not have very much at all, but we have monetary resources. We have relationships. We have friends. We have family members. We have gifts, we have abilities, we have, we have an intellect. We, we have a lot of gifts, things that our God has given to us. And brothers and sisters, we should be thankful for those things. And so absolutely, be more thankful for what God gives. 
Yes, be thankful for what God gives. And probably for most of us in this room, when we think about being more thankful, that's what we think about. God gives me things, God gives me stuff, and I should be more thankful for those things and that stuff which he provides. That's good. That is true. And we need to take that to heart as we turn the page into 2020. But I also don't want you to miss this in the text. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. So friend, don't just be thankful for what God gives. Also be thankful for what God ordains. Be thankful for what God ordains. Now, a good, God-centered theology from the Scriptures would tell us that our God sovereignly controls all circumstances. The circumstances that are easy, the circumstances that are difficult, the circumstances that we rejoice in naturally, and the circumstances that we find very calamitous and we would want rather shake our fist towards the heavens and everything in between. But don't miss the fact that the writer Paul here says give thanks not just in what we deem as good circumstances, not just what we say is easy circumstances, but he says in all circumstances. So whether it is with ease or whether it is with challenge, whether it is victory or what we perceive as defeat, in all circumstances, the writer says, be thankful. Now, now brothers and sisters, this isn't easy. I, I, I don't sit at home just waiting for calamity to strike so I can be thankful to God for it. And I don't pretend this morning that when you are in your moments of distress or you are in your disquieting times, that somehow that it's just going to come easy for you to look to God and say, God, thank you for this distress. How, it, how great it feels. Bring it on, Lord. No, that's not true at all. Those moments hurt. Those moments are hard. Those moments are challenging. Or perhaps some of my carpentry friends can relate to this. You take a rough board that you're going to use. Perhaps you're going to build a piece of furniture out of it. Perhaps you're going to frame a door or a window. Or, and it's just really rough around the edges. And you, you take a, a, a really rough, coarse piece of sandpaper and you, you sand it down it's going to take what my grandfather would call a lot of elbow grease. I remember a moment, by the way, when I was a kid, my grandfather said, put some elbow grease into it. And I said, where do I get that from? <laughs> I now know what it means. It's hard. It takes work. It's even going to hurt a little bit in my arm or in my joints. But after the fact, what you're going to be left with is this really smooth beautiful piece of wood and as someone who really loves this kind of stuff man when you're working with your hands there are a few things that are better than just a really smooth piece of wood 
And some of us want to be really smooth pieces of wood in God's shop, but we don't want any sanding to take place to get us there. And the reality is, in God's kingdom ethic, He has designed life on earth for us, that there are going to be some really beautiful moments for us, some really rejoicing moments for us, and there are going to be some really disquieting, hardening moments for us. And that's when His... His kingly sandpaper comes to our life. And as we weather those storms, he's making us into a masterpiece that we never would have been able to see for ourselves. And so as a result of that, when those moments come, we should be like the the servant Job in Job chapter 2. When his wife is challenging him to curse God and die because of the calamity which God had brought upon his life, he simply responds back to her, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And in the Hebrew there, that word evil, it it can mean calamity, tumultuous times. Are we just supposed to receive the quieting times and not also the disquieting times from God, Job says? So we should be more thankful. God, thank you. I don't know why you're bringing this in my life. I don't know why you're choosing to sand me down in this way. But Father, I know that you're making me into the image of your son, Jesus. And I know that you're using this to sanctify me and make me look more like you. And so for that, Father, though it hurts, though it is painful, and though I may not like it, Father, I know it's good. And so I say thank you. So friends, in this coming year, be more thankful. Be more thankful for what God gives. Be more thankful for what God ordains. And I want you to see two last truths here before we close. All of this that we've looked at today, being more joyful, being more prayerful, being more thankful, all of this is God-honoring. All of it's God-honoring. Look back at the text with me. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God. Now, most of us in this room want to know the will of God. And sometimes we're even held in a perpetual holding motion because we are so scared to make a decision unless we absolutely know God's specific will in every single circumstance. And there are a lot of things that are mysterious to us. But this is not ambiguous. This text says that we can know what God's will is for our lives. We can at least walk out of this room today knowing that it is God's will for me to be more joyful. It is God's will for me to be more prayerful. And it is God's will for me to be more thankful. When he says that it is the will of God for me, it's really referring to all of this, not just the Thanksgiving part. And so all of this is God honoring. And I think a strong argument could be made this morning that each of these dispositions thrive or lack in our lives together. So for example, it is really difficult for me to be more joyful if I'm less prayerful. Because my prayer and connectivity to God and communicating to Him in prayer is one of the ways that could actually fuel my joy. Sometimes my distance with God actually fuels 
my sadness and my despair. And it's really hard to be more thankful to God if I'm not in prayer towards God, thanking Him for what He's done and what He's doing and giving in my life. And it's really hard to be more prayerful if I'm not more joyful. Do you see how all of these are like a spiritual matrix for our lives whereby we should be thriving and growing in each one of these dispositions? And so I want to encourage you to be growing in all three of these because all of these are God-honoring. But don't miss this last point. Not only is all of this God-honoring, but all of this also is Jesus-empowered. Perhaps you're listening today And you're saying, Chris, I would love to be more joyful and I would love to be more prayerful and I would love to be more thankful. But this is not easy and this doesn't come naturally to me. And I would say, I know. I fully recognize that truth. And that's the truth this morning, that not a single one of these dispositions comes natural to the human being. These are all dispositions that are inaugurated by and fueled by our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you see that in the text? Did you see it? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is Jesus Christ inside of us who will fuel us in our joy, who will fuel us to be more prayerful towards the Father, who will fuel us in our gratitude and thanksgiving. Because consider this, it is Jesus himself who was perfectly joyful in the midst of any and every circumstance. As a matter of fact, in the face of the most heinous circumstance in his earthly life, his death on a cross, Hebrews 12, 2 says this, that we should look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So friend, If you want to endure the trials of life with the joy of the Lord inside of you, we must look to the one who perfectly endured the the cross and endured the trials of his life for the joy in God that was set before him. Luke 5.16 tells us that Jesus Christ was the one who was constantly praying. Says that he would withdraw often to desolate places to pray. And he is the one who perfectly showed gratitude to the Father. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, as we're focusing on the Lord's Supper there, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, facing his impending death, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, our hope is not in being a good person. Our hope is not putting mind over matter and simply becoming a better person. Our hope today is that we're called to be like Jesus. And our hope is that in being like Jesus, we're looking to the Jesus who already did these things perfectly, and he will fuel us in our pursuit of these things. And so if you're here today, And this is kind of alien to you. This is foreign to your spiritual mindset. I want to encourage you to lean into the gospel of Christ. That this Jesus, who was born in a manger in Bethlehem, he actually grew up 
And he lived perfectly as the Father required him to. And he demonstrated these gospel-focused dispositions that we're called to pursue in our own lives. So would you turn to him today? It could be as simple as repenting of your sin. Father, I'm tired of doing life my way. I want to turn to you and do life your way. I want to let go of my sin. And I put my trust and my faith, my entire volition, into the hands of your son, Jesus. So Jesus, come and make me the person you want me to be so that I might look just like you. Father, today, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience with us. Because I'm so mindful of the fact that today I don't always look like your son and I know that I need so badly to grow in these three dispositions and I'm looking out among a people who also need to grow in these dispositions so father as we make our goals for this new year and we think about the person we want to be a year from today guard our hearts from missing our inward disposition our character, the ways in which we could look and model your son more demonstratively in our lives. And Father, for the person in here who is in kind of spiritual tumult, who's wrestling with what it means to be a Christ follower, who's wrestling with the regret and the pain of their lives, would you cause their mind and their eyes to turn to your son Jesus today and speak peace And speak grace into that heart. And I pray that they would speak the name of Jesus. But then, Father, give them the courage to take a trusted friend or pastor by the hand. To say, I sense God is doing something in my life. Would you help me understand it? Lord, work in your people today. We pray in the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.